It's Pilot Boys episode 100. Today we're going to talk about Border Patrol joiner Lucas in China during our news and notes. And of course, we've got our college football sprint before that, talking about Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten and SEC landscape. We are so excited to get this flight going. Let's get it. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. We're back with another week of the college football sprint with Coach Zach Smith. A little bit more fireworks and flames and different types of issues going on at the start of this year's Ohio State season. Last year, we were worried about whether or not we would actually have a season. This year, we're worried about whether our team is better than that team up north this year or not. <laughs> I think I think some people are wishing we still had COVID and we didn't. <laughs> Can we cancel this one? Let's run last year back and cancel this one. <laughs> Use the Harbaugh strategy for playing the games we want to play. Right. <laughs> um, we'll get into some of the fan sentiment a little bit later on. What I do think is that there is very valid criticism of our performance against a team like Tulsa this week. This is a team that I looked up their past games and they lost 1917 to a school named UC Davis who I didn't even know had a football football program. They put up 20 points against the national powerhouse named Ohio state. It seemed like portions of the game, they were having their way like every other team has had against us uh, going into this game. Right? So Zach, your initial reaction, I know you live streamed the game and, you were giving some some color commentary as it went, but but what are your takeaways from from this game? Um, I think uh, a, a couple of things. One is this defense is just, I mean, it's it, let's put it, it got better, right? Cam Martinez yeah. played more and he showed up, and I mean, he's he's an impressive kid. I mean, he was the defensive player of the game. He had a PBU that that resulted in an interception. He had an interception. I mean, he he was an impact player. Ronnie Hickman. They, I think they utilized him a lot more to his strengths, more a box safety. He was, a, I mean, he was night and day from the Oregon game as far as triggering and, and making tackles. I think he led the team in tackles. Having Taraja Mitchell out hurt, I think he's their best linebacker. And um, so, and, and honestly, third game in a row, the two corners, Cameron Brown and, and Denzel Burke, were just absolutely locked down. And I yeah. mean, that interception that Denzel Burke had turned uh, overturned was just, I mean, criminal. Like they stole. Uh, an interception from it. So I think there's bright spots here. And uh, I think the, the dark spots, right. The, the dark days of Ohio state defense right now are, are really rely on coaching. And, and, and I know that we've been saying that, but they yeah. did Tulsa did some things. They, they knew when Ohio state was going to play man, Ohio state played more man, which I'm all about. Cause they have the guys to do it, especially against Tulsa. So what it's, what are you, if you're Tulsa, what do you do? Right. You get in bunches, you, you run man beaters. Like you do those things that just, will help a lesser athlete get open. And Ohio yeah. State had no adjustment. They played straight man to bunches, which is the dumbest shit I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> and then and then okay, let's say you make that dumbass decision, then they get you, they beat you once or twice and you make no adjustments. Now you're stubborn and dumb, right? Yeah. And so they, and they didn't. They didn't make any adjustments. They just kept running bunches, kept mm -hmm. just having guys running running wide open and it just 
that's the frustrating part for yeah. a fan or an analyst or I'm sure the players, the coaches, everyone for Ryan Day. And so I, I think there was definitely some bright spots that people can't seem to get over because they had 500 yards on Ohio State's defense, but I uh, can't seem to, to locate. But I think there were some good things that happened that, that could be promising for the future. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what this comes down to, right? Is these guys are paid a lot of money um, to be able to be better than the guy sitting on his couch at understanding what you need, what adjustments you need to make, what type of scheme you need to run. And it's looking really, really amateur right now. They made the change. Um, I think Coach Barnes was the play caller mm -hmm. uh, in this game. But this goes back to understanding coaches and understanding that Ryan Day, this is his first first rodeo at a major program. To me, it seemed like it seemed it's very clear that he's a brilliant offensive mind, a brilliant quarterback coach, brilliant offensive game planner. But it doesn't seem like in his role as a CEO, he did a great job of understanding what we needed on the other side of the ball to continue to be Ohio State football. Losing experienced guys like Greg Schiano, Coach Fickle, and replacing them with a guy like Kerry Coombs, who has been great as a secondary coach and a position coach, but has never been a play caller at the college or professional level. He was a head coach at high school at a very good program at Coleraine. And then when you make the switch this week to Barnes, you saw the same kind of amateurism in terms of play calling and adjustments. And as the role, not Ryan Day, the offensive coordinator, not Ryan Day, the coach that's accomplished as much, but as the CEO of the program, clearly he's made some major mistakes on the defensive side of the ball. And as a CEO, you have to own those. Much as I love Ryan as a person, I am going to say that he's failed here unequivocally. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I think that the 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 failure here, <clears throat> whether it, you know everything falls on Ryan's shoulders, they always have to, right? Yeah. That's the way a company works. That's the way a football team works. But I think the failure here is they're running a defense, and you saw a ton of a, a, a you saw a shift in, in in their philosophy on Saturday. I mean, there was far more blitzes. We were yeah. standing up defensive ends, like we were, they did things where you said, "All right." Now we're getting somewhere. We're moving in the right direction, right? I think they came into this year blindly and stubbornly said, we're going to run this defense, right? This single high defense yep. where it's zone and man mixed, right? And they lost sight of the fact that that defense is predicated on a dominant pass rush and they don't have <laughs> dominant pass rushers this year. They just yeah. don't. And that's something that they should have been able to identify in spring and training camp and had a plan for how to generate a pass rush disrupt quarterbacks because you watch the Penn State Auburn game and you felt like the quarterback was going to die every every snap yeah. even though there wasn't a sack in the game you just felt like holy shit like this looks like what I believe a war would look like like you're back there like bullets flying like don't even like just almost terror and it takes a strong dude to stand back there and throw not Tulsa Tulsa yeah. had like Pee Wee Herman back there just dinking and dunking all over the place not a care in the world this dude was just like this is fun, man. This horseshoe is kind of cool. And yeah. just throwing it all over the field. It's like, well, yeah. you got to get after the quarterback for that defense to work. And they're just not right now. And I know Larry Johnson will work it, and they'll get better at it. They'll play more young guys. JTT went in, and he was he was excellent. And I think 
you know, there's Zach Harrison was out, however good you want to say he yeah. is. Um, but I think that was the critical mistake, right? And I think Ryan made a difficult decision. I mean, after week, what, two, and demoted Kerry Combs. I don't, I mean, that rarely happens in college That's football. A, that was definitely a good move, like taking, yeah, taking and, the bull by the horns. Yeah, and, and so, like, did he make a mistake in hiring Kerry? I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Um, but he's he's making pretty pretty big decisions right now to try to fix it, and I think that's that's a sign of somebody that that is is an elite CEO. It may not be right right now, but it's going to be right eventually. He's going to yeah. fix it. You know what I mean? And how difficult is it week to week? Because me looking at this, Tulsa is the game that you probably can experiment with the adjustment, some big adjustments for them to come out with the same scheme. How difficult would it have been to kind of coach the players up to adjust the scheme for it in a one week period. Yeah. I mean, that's just a matter if you think the scheme's broken or not. Right. And, and yeah. I don't think the scheme's broken. I think they do need to uh, kind of generate a pass rush one by hook or by crook, right? Whether it's sub packages, whether it's personnel diff changes. Um, and then I think they need to coach them better. I mean, the underneath coverage has just been pitiful and I don't know that that's a scheme thing. I don't know what defense you can play where the, un your underneath coverage can be, you know, average is being nice. And yeah. and then all of a sudden you become effective. I think the safety play with Josh Proctor gone is going to be a concern. And corner play has been excellent, and it's going to continue to be excellent. So I don't know what they could switch to other than what they kind of shown they're going to kind of grow in, which is pressure, more pressure generation, right? Blitzes, sub packages, standing guys up, some twists, things like that. And then they just got to get the right guys on the field. And I think there's a couple spots, whether it's by injury or just, you know, a mistake by the coach. They're putting some guys out there that probably shouldn't be out there. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, watching Travion Henderson was pretty mind blowing. He is oh, yeah. the real deal. You guys called it even before the season started on the podcast. I mean, wow. wow. I've never seen like the guy gets the same gaps as any other running back on the team and makes like four times as much out of it. It's pretty unbelievable. It's unbelievable. The kid is just so explosive. He's so explosive. He's fluid. He's smooth. He runs hard. I mean, he you got to understand, like, this kid is a true freshman, too. Like, what this kid's body is going to look like in two years, it, it's he is going to be, I mean, a Heisman caliber player. And and I, I saw that on high school film. I talked to Tony Alford about it. Like, this kid is, he's different, different. <laughs> like, yeah. And I was, my only concern was they were going to give him the Trey Sermon treatment and kind of yeah. just sprinkle him here and there all season. And then by the end of the year, you'd be like, oh, shit, we need to move the ball. Let's put the the stud in, right? And they didn't. I mean, to Tony's credit, he started Mayan Williams. Travion Henderson is, has been getting hot, and they're riding it right now. And they're not going to ever go away from Mayan Williams because he's been really good too. But Travion's different. He's different than anyone on Ohio State's roster. And he's honestly, he's different. I mean, he, he's – Better than J.K. as a freshman, better than Zeke as a freshman. You know, we'll see how his career pans out. But you give him three three years with Mickey Marotti in this system, and good Lord, that kid is going to be a monster. Yeah, he's special, special. And he's special in the sense that a, a true freshman's understanding of the game, to take away the physical talent, a lot of guys have that. But his understanding of the game is just is like NFL level already, you know? Yeah, just awareness and vision is just is yeah, really good. And he, it, he missed some cuts, but, you know, he's a freshman. He'll, yeah. he'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, Confidence is high as well, which is always something you like to see out of a young yeah. guy. He, steps on the field. He, he knows he's the best player on the field when he's when he gets For out. sure. And, you know, and, to, and go ahead. I, I was going to say, what, what this team reminds me of, you know, uh, 
defense is the exception, but I, I do feel like they'll lock it in by the end of the year. Um, but the, the analogy is like to that 03 team when we played Miami, where we had the super strong running back, a few really crazy good receivers, and a quarterback that was just like not not the star, right? But could semi-facilitate, maybe had yeah. a pick or two in Craig Krenzel, if you guys remember those days. Oh, yeah. Um, but the defense really picked up, and that, that was what made the team successful. You know, as you guys look at the evolution so far, I think one thing that was nice was seeing in the second half these guys click. I think that's kind of a Ryan Day signature as the second halves have always been really good since he took over. Um, but it was nice to see a little momentum that we haven't seen earlier in the season so far with, with a couple of the picks, with a couple of the major running plays near the end. Um, what do you guys think is going to be the area that really develops into our biggest advantage by the end of the year? I, I think the pass rush, right? I mean, we have the players and we have the talent. We're starting freshmen, crew freshmen. Um, and we have, we have Larry Johnson, right? Um, I think, though, that what, when you compare to the 03 team, we had guys like Will Smith, good friend of mine, rest in peace, on that team, Mike Doss, veteran leaders who took the bull by the horns on the defensive end, Somebody through this season on the defensive end as a player, we can put it on the coaches, but one of these players needs to step up and say, you know what? This is Ohio State football. This is Ohio State defense, and we're going to get the job done. And I'm hoping it's somebody on that defensive line. Yeah, but it's got to be a guy like Haskell Gary, who is a veteran, who is a leader. He's he's struggling right now because he doesn't have the the guys on the outside that he's used to having. Because last year he was truly a dominant inside interior pass rusher, and he just hasn't been as effective this year because he's really one of the only threats. Um, and I, I think the the one thing to keep in mind is this is a long game, right? And I know they lost to Oregon, but but if they can find, they're going to beat Akron. They can find a way to get through the Maryland and you know get through those the Rutgers, those games, and they can get to Penn State. Penn State is really, really good, yeah. but they can't run the ball. I mean, they have they have weaknesses also, and I think Ohio State can get to that game in the horseshoe with some energy. If they can tighten some things up, they win that game, and you're, you're talking about them in a different picture, and I think that the telling thing that Ohio State is doing with C.J. Stroud specifically, I know he missed some throws. We, he can cry about his shoulder and blame his shoulder. That's football. Like we don't, Honestly, I'm done with li listening to that. Every, after Oregon and after um, Tulsa, he, he's going to talk about how his shoulder's sore. Like, we're good, C.J. You're the quarterback at Ohio State. Like It's going to be sore. Let's not blame that, okay? But you look at the uh, – the you know, there was a trio of, of what now are redshirt freshman quarterbacks that took the reins at, you know, one of the – dominant programs in the country, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. You had DJ Uyunglele at Clemson, Bryce Young at Alabama, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. Ohio State is asking C.J. Stroud to do more throwing the ball than either of the other two, and analytically, he's doing better than both of them, yes. right? Yes. Because Bryce Young throws the ball in the middle of the field only. Alabama's not asking him to do anything. He doesn't throw the ball down the field. I think he's – I have this stat for you. Two for 13 on deep balls, 15 percent. Mm -hmm. If I could do math, I'm not a math guy. Do you know CJ on that? Huh? Do you know CJ on that same stuff? Oh, I could tell you. Hold on. So CJ Stroud, let's look it up where I just had him. All right, CJ Stroud. So in this, I don't have his season stats. I did have it, but he in this game against Tulsa, he was 0 for 2 on deep balls. And that would have been the, I mean, that would have changed the game, right? You look at this. Yeah. Vegas had their the team total at like 43, three and a half. 
they played like dog shit on offense and scored 41. So it's yeah. like, you know, you got to you got to really look at it. CJ CJ's completing the ball. He's spreading out across the, uh, across the field. 50% of his passes are outside the hash. 50% yeah. are inside the hash in the middle of the field where you go to like Bryce Young, 72% of his passes are in the middle of the field. Like, just think about it. I mean, it doesn't take a, really a football mind. Like, the easiest throw is right in front of you, right? It's yeah. harder to throw it to the sideline. It's just yeah. common, like, yeah. common sense when you look at it. And so Bryce and Bryce Young can't hit a deep ball. So, like, where is C.J. Stroud right now on his journey? He's not good enough yet. Needs to tighten up some throws. Maybe it's his shoulder or he's a crybaby, one of the two. But <laughs> either way, if he can sure up some of these throws, he's playing at a higher level than the other two kids that are heralded as, you know, that – Heisman caliber player at Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, those are the three, right? And yeah. so I think the long play here is to develop CJ, you know, build him some confidence, get him to hit those throws that he's missing now. And by the end of the year, Ohio State will be really happy they have CJ Stroud instead of Bryce Young or DJ Uyangalele. Yeah, yeah. I, I think these the fans and some of these uh these websites, Buckeye centric websites, um, like to create drama that isn't there. Um, and what I'm seeing from CJ Stroud as a first time starter over three games, I think the Tulsa game was the roughest of the games that he's had, but in the first two games, yeah, he started off slow. He was lights out in the second half, looked all the bit like he should in the second half of both the Oregon game. And, uh, can't remember who we played in the first game, uh, <laughs> Minnesota, uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. I lost that for a second. Um, he looked good in both of those games. And on top of that, there's still some one thing that I'm I'm not seeing, which you kind of pointed out in the preseason was we've got depth at quarterback. Why aren't we seeing CJ run um, a bit more uh, yeah. than we have with the, the quarterbacks in the past? Yeah, that's one of the things I thought they would do. And um yeah, I mean, you watch like I watched Penn State on Saturday night, and it was just phenomenal what they did. I watched Florida almost take down Bama without their most explosive playmaker on offense. And what you saw was quarterbacks that were running the ball to make plays a little bit, right? And you saw, I mean, not Florida as much as Sean Clifford at Penn State, but you saw hard play actions popping guys wide open. Mm -hmm. And you look at C.J. Stroud, so like what can help a young quarterback, right? Yeah. One is his offensive personnel just kills it. Like they help him out a ton. Zone six is not helping worth a shit. They yeah. have six drops through three games, which is the most since they started recording drops through three yep. games. I mean, I think in 2017, the receivers had four drops. Right now, Ohio State is the fourth worst team in the country on drop ball percentage. 10% yep. of passes are dropped. Yeah, I mean, it's wow. you're, no one's helping this kid out. And the other thing that helps out a young quarterback is play action, right? Yep. Sean that? Clifford at Penn State was running play actions. His completion percentage was is 26% higher when he does play action compared to drop back. You want to hear the most asinine stat ever cj stroud is 15 percent less productive in play action like explain wow. that to me wow. this is where you can help a young kid out right hard play action get some people open make it make the throws a little easier he's worse whether it's his footwork his technique they're not working it as much or the play actions are flat stupid right yeah. one of the one of the two and so he's not really getting helped that much and i, w I just wish I'm hoping, I'm sure by the end of the year, we're going to see some play actions to pop some guys open. Zone six, we know how talented they are. They're going to stop dropping the ball if they just work on it in practice and kind of tighten up their hands. And then all of a sudden, this kid's going to flourish. You're going to be like, what happened? It's like, well, yeah. people started helping him out a little bit.
and he got better. Both both happened, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that assessment completely. I think watching him play, you see a kid who has the potential to be a very confident, very composed quarterback that has the ability to lead this team to, I think, a national championship. But it does require what you're talking about, Zach, that time to really build the fundamentals and get the chemistry built across the team. And um, for, for CJ as well, it doesn't look like he has the most confidence. It reminds me of watching Justin Fields when he was at Georgia, when he would get those few snaps. It was just like, you see a kid on the field versus, you know, you don't see yeah. the person who's commanding the the entire energy of, of the arena, right? And like, that's what I would love to see CJ get to. And that's what you you see all great quarterbacks get to before they go to the league. Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt that 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 will that will come. He's young. It's just he just got to experience some success and kind of own own his career, right? Right now he's trying. He's trying. He's yeah. got to kind of own it and just do it. Yeah, yeah. It's what you said in the first first episode this season, Zach. You said he's in a position for success. Now he's just got to go do it. Yeah, that's it. Yep. You know, and and, and one last thing on the Ohio State uh, side of the matter before we move on to some other college football topics. We only had 70,000 fans in the stadium yeah. uh, this past Saturday. Uh, if you, First of all, if you're not showing up to the game, then don't sit on Twitter afterwards and bash everybody on the, every coach, every player, every single thing about the program. And you're not you're either not watching the game or you're not attending the game. Mm -hmm. You know, it, fans at Ohio State do have the right to say a lot more than most fans. We invest in our team. We travel. We support the team. But are you supporting the team or is this just for your own personal enjoyment that you're going to these games? Because I am not a fan of how hard these fans have been on CJ Stroud. First of all, it shows how little you understand the game. And then the second thing is, why aren't we showing up? That could be a lot of factors. It could be ticket prices. It could be COVID. It could be mass policy. But that was embarrassing to only see 70,000 fans in the horseshoe. We would, we would sell out against Division I AA schools when they showed up to play us. But yeah, we, we, have, do it we, have, we have more to spring game. It's... Uh, it's a real head scratcher. And, and, you know, Braxton and I are doing these tailgates and you see it there too. Like people, people aren't attending like you would, ex would assume they would. Right. Yeah. Especially after not having any of these experiences last year, yeah. I think honestly, Kevin Warren and the big 10, what they did last year killed it because people found an alternative way to enjoy the games. And now they're like, nah, I kind of like what we did last year. Like I had a, t I had a big party at my house, got a, you know, got a projector and had a blast and didn't drive anywhere. And I, I enjoy it that way. I'm not going to go. I think that's what happened. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty nuts, honestly, because every memory I have growing up is a full horseshoe. I don't remember open seats ever. Well, it's the lowest, lowest attendance in 50 years. So yeah. none of us were alive to ever uh, see anything like that. Yeah. Uh, did you set a record with uh, Travion Henderson? Didn't he have a single game rushing record? Yeah, fresh, freshman, freshman rushing record. record. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's it's I think it's partially that and I think it's also partially how much Ohio State tends to take for granted that people don't have unlimited budgets. Right. You can't continue to raise the prices on tickets, on concessions, on every element on on <laughs> merchandise, on every element of the game. You know, this year they had those seat licenses that you got to pay an extra fee in addition to the tickets for greed 
tends to work for a little while, but eventually push comes to shove. And maybe we need to look at that as well. I get why you were smiling before this episode, V. (laughs) I see what you had held up there. (laughs) You know what? It's, 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 Ohio State has always been one of the most stubborn athletic departments in the United States of America. And it's like they took this opportunity where they lost so much money because of COVID and tried to pass it along to families that also lost a ton of money because of COVID. And I think people basically are like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. I'll watch it on TV. Like they they reached that point. And Ohio State's so blind to reality that it's they're going to have to do something to come back from this. I mean, there's like this game Saturday is a worse game than Tulsa, just so we're I clear. Mean, that's a 60% full stadium. It's you know, crazy. 70% yeah. full crazy. stadium. So. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a wild outcome too because the brand is very valuable, but mm-hmm. unfortunately the customer base for it, it's, it's Ohio, it's central Ohio. It's not as affluent as you would find in other major cities. Right. So there is that challenge. I mean, I think that's that's pretty universal for college football as well. Like Alabama's fan base is not the wealthiest fan base in the world, right? But um, I think, yeah, you guys are spot on. You know, fans are are the foundation of a great sports experience. You need that. Right, and they're not going to drive fans away from their team. They're just going to drive them to enjoy their team a different way, and that's what people yeah. are doing. Yep. So yep. if you want to enjoy it a different way, come hang out with Braxton <laughs> down at our tailgate. <laughs> It's 50 bucks, not 175. It's a really good time. You get food and drink. Shameless plug, right? How much tickets cost? Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, 125, 150, 175, depending on the game. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You, you're, you're, your parents, I want to take your two, two kids to a game. You're dropping like eight hundo out the gate before you even get in there and try buy a $40 hot dog or whatever they charge. I've never been inside, but it would be nice for them to make some sort of concession to fans. Like, for example, in Atlanta, um, Arthur right. Blank, Arthur Blank made concessions very affordable. Right. Do something that helps helps people out. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, that's 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 really it. It's like it's like let's double down on on gouging more versus hey, maybe we have a problem here that we need to solve and fix. Right. So. Absolutely. Crazy. Well, we you did mention Penn State, Zach. Yeah. I wanted to quickly jump in on that. I watched that game as well, and I was blown away by the quality of their defense and and more than anything, the energy on the field. Like there was just oh. this, this passion that I mean, I I've not seen that with many other teams. And you know, I get the the question for the podcast is: Are they the real deal this year? Uh they're the real deal. They just can't run the ball. Um, but you know, here's the funny thing about college football right now. Everyone has issues, right? There is not a 2020 Alabama or 2019 LSU out there. There's just not. not And so are they the real deal this year? Maybe. I mean, last year or the year before, absolutely not. They would get boat raced by Alabama last year, boat raced by LSU the year before that, probably by Ohio state both years. Um, but this year, I mean, they, Things are kind of set up for success. What they're doing, uh, the guy Mike Yurich, Yurchik or whatever, however you say his last name, that was at Ohio State, then went to Texas, and now is at Penn State. The game plan he put together for Auburn was, I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, they had some trick formations, play actions, like everything they did. They couldn't run the ball against Auburn at all, and they still lit it up. And it's not a bad Auburn team either this is a good Auburn team this year oh yeah I mean I mean Bo Nix is about as average as they come their quarterback but and and they don't have great skill on offense but that Auburn defense is the real deal 
And Penn State was able to score on him. They were able to throw it on him. Sean Clifford was, and he's not, you know, Peyton Manning. But they did a ton to help. I, I mentioned it before, 26% increase completing the ball when they did play action. So that just tells you their play action game plan was fire, right? <laughs> and uh, and the whiteout, you, you got to account for like nine points in a whiteout. That, I mean, that place, I, I was talking to Kirk Herbstreet about it. it that place at LSU at night or at Death Valley at night, I don't know that there's anywhere in the country that even comes close to it. They're wow. just yeah. so insane, the energy level. Wow. Yeah, yeah those night games in Penn State, I, I remember in past years, that's the biggest fear. I'm each. just telling you, man, everyone wearing white, shaking those fucking white pom-poms at you. You're yeah. standing on the sideline. You're looking around going, holy shit. Like, you yeah. feel like you're in the old, like, gladiator days where someone's going to go like this and you die. Like, it, it really what it felt like. Like, it's just it's just different. It is. Is that the toughest that you've been in? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. LSU at night in 2007 was pretty salty. Yeah, I mean, it's between the two, though. I mean, those it, it, and, and there's nowhere that I've been that's close. When you talk about putting the thumb down and dying, that's how I feel whenever I'm around LSU fans. Like, they literally <laughs> <laughs> they are some crazy, crazy but, people. I mean, it's there. like, and it's, you know, obviously I was coaching at Florida when we were there, so I didn't get to experience all of it, but I had family that went to the game and they <laughs> said they're outside eating like gumbo and hanging out like this Creole people just having a blast. And the minute yep. they got in the stadium, they're getting batteries thrown at them. It's like friendliest yeah. people outside, but you go inside and you might mm -hmm. die today. It's well, really what it's like. That's how Eagles fans are, too. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, God. Philly is nuts. The link is nuts. <laughs> it is crazy. And you did mention in that analysis, nobody's really great this year. So, you know, Alabama this year is struggling. Um, does that, are they still your favorite this year, Zach? Are they still, you know, the team that's most likely to get there? No, I don't, I don't have a favorite here. I'm going to give you some, I just, I just wrote this for my show. So you, you, you really are pulling it out of me right now. <laughs> Alabama right now is, is, this is not Nick Saban's Alabama that everyone's used to, right? Yeah. Because they've always had just a nasty smothering defense and they don't this year. They're 10th in the sec and rush defense, 12th in the sec and pass efficiency defense, sixth in scoring defense. And if you look at the trajectory over the last 13 years, I mean, just if you just look at rush, rushing defense, right? Last year, they were third in the SEC. Then I'll just go back to the last 13 years. 2019, the only year they didn't make the playoff that I can even remember, they were seventh in the SEC in rush defense. Every other year, they've been top three from 2017 wow. to 2009, whatever many years that is. What is that, like eight, nine years? They were number one in the SEC in rush defense every single year. Every single year. And now they're 10th. And you watch what Florida did to them. Florida just put up the highest yards per carry against an Alabama defense since the Sugar Bowl with Zeke. They, wow. they ran for like 5.7 yards per carry. No one has done that since Zeke and, and we ran for 6.6 .6 yards per carry or something around there. I mean, so this defense at Alabama is very different. Bryce Young is not Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they have – I love their skill at receiver. Jamison Williams is killing it. He's leading the team in receiving yards and touchdowns and everything. Um, but I, it's just, it's just not the same Alabama team. The defense is good, but it's not that dominant defense where you're like, man, I don't know if we'll gain a yard. Yeah. I want to, I want to touch on this because you, as you, as you touched on watching these games, no one really looks like the part, like, okay, this is a team, you know, Penn state was, is good. Relatively speaking to Penn state teams we've seen in the past, you like the energy, but like you said, they can't run the ball. Is this a result of the last two drafts just so deep 
being so deep and so many players leaving and so many programs being in transition now? Or is this actually, is there something else in the water here as to why the quality of college football is down? Well, I think people lose sight of the fact that, that last year it was a devastating, devastating. Yeah. You lose spring ball. I mean, that is 15 practices. Let's say you get 50 reps in practice. I mean, you do that math. What is that? 750 reps that these kids that are playing right now didn't get, right? Yeah. Then you par double down on that, right? Parlay it with the fact that there was no out-of-conference games. There was no MAC games where those kids could get meaningful game reps. Like So the kids we're watching playing right now got robbed of probably one of the more critical like years of their athletic development when they are a backup, but they can develop. They can get some game reps. They yeah. get a spring in, right? They don't have to play yet. They get those extra practices in, and all of a sudden they come out the next year and they're ready to go. Well, yeah. they, they got robbed of all of that. And, and C.J. Stroud is one of them, right? He should have been playing the second half against Akron when Justin Fields is sipping on a Gatorade when we're up 49 to nothing, right? Yeah. He should have been, but he wasn't. He, he didn't yeah. get that opportunity, right? And so I think that's worse the, the ripple effect and, and aftershock of COVID cancellation, Kevin Warren, all of that is really just absolutely we're feeling it right now across the country, not just Big Ten, but everywhere. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point, too. Big Ten um, this year also seems to be doing quite well relative to most of the teams. Um, despite this lack of experience that the younger guys were able to get, what do you think is is getting teams like Iowa to play and Penn State to play so well this year? Did they truly get that much better over the last and year? Michigan State has been playing well, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think each each story is unique, right? Like Penn State has the talent, right? They and they had such an awful start to last year. I think they started what zero and four or something crazy, and then ended up rebounding and kind of bouncing back from that. But that adversity created a little chip on their shoulder, so they obviously had a dominant offseason, just kicked its ass, right? Worked them hard, and um, and they were young last year, and now most of those guys came back. Um, Iowa is just kind of does what Iowa does. Like once every three years, they're, they're a veteran team. They're tough. They have a great defense that, you know, they, they just, that's just what Iowa does. Once and every three years, you're going to be like, damn, I was they, good. They have like five, <laughs> five NFL first for offensive linemen. That right. You, know, like, you don't hear about until they get to the NFL. Right. <laughs> right. You don't even know who they are until you're like, who's this pro bowler? Oh, he played at Iowa. Never heard of him. But, and then Michigan state's a whole other conversation. I mean, what, what yeah. Mel Tucker did there was, I mean, I've never seen it. I think he got, 35 guys got kicked off the team or transferred yeah. and then he brought 35 guys in and recruiting in the transfer portal. So he essentially just like went on Madden, like deleted his roster and created a new team. <laughs> and it's like they came out this year and you're like, I, people ask, how good is Michigan State going to be? I was like, Michigan State doesn't know how good they're going to be. These, none of these kids yeah. have even worn a Michigan State t-shirt before. <laughs> we have no idea. But they're killing they it. They got them from Bishop Sycamore. They picked they up they did, Right. All these kids are really like 33-year-old NFL retirees. We just don't know it. <laughs> Um, but they went down and beat the brakes off of Miami. So it's like, yeah, the Big Ten looks good this year. And what they're missing, unless it is Penn State or if Ohio State can uh, wake up a different team, they're missing that that playoff contender right now, in my yeah. opinion. I don't think Ohio State can can play with the top four teams in the country. I don't I don't think Penn State can either. I mean, Auburn right now, you got to put it in perspective. They're the fourth best team in the SEC West, right? You yeah. have Bama, A&M. Ole Miss is playing really well. Yeah, and then yeah. Auburn's probably four. So as it was a great win for Penn State, that's a fourth best team in the division 
in the SEC, not yeah. even the conference, just the division. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to be written about this season. Oh yeah. Um, and, and we'll see. One team I definitely don't see in the playoff this year is Clemson. Just watching them play, I don't I don't know if they're going to get it together. Yeah, I, but I also I also don't know that the ACC is good enough to expose it. That, that's the yeah. other side of the conversation, right? Like, are they yeah. good enough? No, it doesn't look like it. But unless Boston College and Jeff Halfley can find a way to win uh, that game against them, I don't. Who are they going to lose to? They're not going to lose to Miami. Not going to lose to Florida State. Like, who? Yeah. I don't know. Virginia Tech just lost to West Virginia. You you thought maybe Virginia Tech was going to come on. Um, I don't know. I don't know who can beat them in the ACC, and so we might be unfortunately watching Clemson in the playoffs, whether yeah. they deserve it or not. I just want to give a quick shout out to um, quarterback for Georgia Tech, Jordan Yates. He's the son of a friend of mine. Uh, went twenty for thirty three for two hundred yards. Great kid, killed it. Really happy. killed it, and almost beat Clemson. Yeah, almost yeah. beat him. Really happy to see a, a good kid like that get some time on on the Heck field. Yeah, man. And you know what, Georgia Tech. I know this is probably off topic, but you brought it up. What Georgia Tech's had to do, and what uh, what Colin, Coach Collins has had to do at Georgia Tech is like that. That's like coming back from an NCA sanctioned death penalty. I mean, they were running the triple option yeah. with, I mean, with absolutely, I mean, no athletes at all. And now it's like, all right, now go run a normal football team. And it's like, okay, can you got 10 years? Cause it might take me 10 years to rebuild this thing. <laughs> and it seems, it seems like they're getting in the right direction. You know, they, they got kind of stomped a, a couple weeks ago. I went to Georgia tech, so it's been a tough, tough fandom there, which is why I'm primarily an Ohio state fan, but <laughs> yeah. for, them. for sure. Yep, yep. Well, that that wraps it up. I think we we covered a lot of ground here. Uh and it's an interesting season and I think what's going to happen is either we're going to be really excited come week 10, week 11 or we're going to be like, okay, can we move on to next season? This is some shitty football. Just give Alabama yeah. give Alabama the trophy as <laughs> just just because and let's move on to next season. Yeah, I I mean, in- you know, if, if it is, if it does end up being kind of a lackluster season for Buckeye fans, I think there's a lot of young talent that is playing that are playing right now. And that's going to be really promising for next year next on year, defense. Yeah. I mean, every, I mean, all those kids are coming back, almost all of them. Right. And on offense, I mean, you're going to lose two receivers, but outside in a, in a tight end. But there's some I mean, G Scott played tight end. I mean, I could go through the whole roster. There's just a lot of young talent that is playing right now. So if they don't get it developed and fixed right away it's really promising for next year yeah yeah yep absolutely yep well zach i'm gonna let you get to it uh thanks again for joining us and uh we'll catch you next week man yeah i appreciate it guys show the pilot boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com you're listening to the pilot boys podcast hey this is partha Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at Lasso Gear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. 
Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. We're at the century mark, man. You're you're f- almost a full year in now. I was just reflecting on that this morning. It's been a while. Yeah, we were planning we were planning a little bit of a surprise for the the hundredth episode, but it, it might come in in a, in a couple episodes from now. Uh, just stay tuned. Maybe a little in person in person event, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Maybe in October, sometime in October. Yeah, that'll be it'll be a good you know the century party, if you will. Yes, yes, As cricketers would say. Yeah. Well, we're 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 rolling, man. There's a lot to talk about. Let's let's get into it. So Border Patrol, I have the I have the crazy viewpoint on this. I'll just be the first to say it. Um, there's some photos that came out today of uh, Border Patrol essentially using whips on um, people trying to cross the border, which is psychotic to begin with. Uh, pretty nuts. Uh, my general sentiment on this, you know, gets a little bit down uh, a different rabbit hole. So before I dive into that, let's just talk about um, kind of the core thing. And I think this is a thematic element, but um, Border Patrol in general has this has this reputation, as as a lot of the police do, obviously, in our country of getting very power crazy and uh, getting very physically violent um, with folks. And uh, I think that's a systemic problem in America in general. Um, and it's sad. I mean, obviously, we know this is happening. It's always sad to see it resurface, but I think it speaks to kind of a greater issue in society, which is watching people who have positions of power in this country really take advantage of it, especially on people who don't really have recourse. Yeah, that is the sentiment. It's a tale as old as time. Um, human beings are insecure. People who tend to go into these positions are deeply insecure. They are usually the people who couldn't do shit else with their lives. Um, and not all, but I'm saying the people who execute these type of acts mm-hmm. um, consistently throughout society are, are very insecure, um, unhappy people who get put into positions where they can project that unhappiness and misery onto other people. Um, and then there's a second group who of people who've never had power in any form in their lives and they get a little bit of power here um, and they execute it in similar fashions. That is going to continue to be the case. You see it in race dynamics. You see it in power dynamics. You see it in male, female dynamics. You see it in sexuality dynamics that there are people who are deeply insecure who will continue to do things like this. I don't know how we fix the problem in society of people like this other than vetting people who get into positions of power, specifically ones in which they have guns um, and weapons and hold power over other people to make sure they're not racist, to make sure that they're not power crippers and make sure that they have some sensitivity training and recourse and consequences for behaving in such ways. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Now, let me dig into my theory. Um, these are some high res photos, man. It's <laughs> a high res image of somebody being whipped. You know, like that's first of all, if you're border patrol and someone has that kind of camera, 
I, I feel it's unlikely you would continue an action that's so heinous, right? That's my view on it. Let's say this was, you know, captured on a phone. There's just too much that is professional about the way the photo was shot. And, you know, this is my perspective as somebody who commissions a lot of photo shoots. I know how hard it is to get a well-lit, well-angled photo to document a subject. So why is a news headline about this really out right now at the same time that we are going through some really tremendous kind of government mistrust, right? To me, I think this is an opportunity for the administration to curry some favor with the American people by saying, hey, we're fixing this. This is how bad it is right now. I think this is this is uh, essentially setting the bar low for yourself. But I can't help but feel that this is also one of those, hey, look over here and the other hands behind the back kind of situation, that there's something going on that you know we won't really ever be privy to. Um, but I do suspect a lot of pockets are getting filled right now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's I, I would like before we jump into that rabbit hole to figure out what the source of the images are, because there are a lot of news agencies and professional photographers who do spend time at border crossings specifically to capture moments like this, um, because there's a lot of activity that happens around and near the border. Um, so that could be the case. Now I do hear you. I'm, I am not a non-conspiracy theorist who doesn't believe that conspiracies do exist. But regardless of the quality of the images, um, the act is the act, um, and let's 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 focus on that. I don't know what the White House said in their statement, but I haven't and I haven't seen a statement on the Border Patrol yet. By the way, Have from you? the point, no, I haven't. Yeah. And this so, is. This Tuesday morning, we're recording this as a right after the photos came out. So there may yeah. be a statement by the time you listen to this podcast. There may be a statement, but you know, at the end of the day, this is why people wonder why everyone hates America so much. It, because we exercise our power over other people in these ways more consistently than any other country in the world. And therefore, we are going to have a lot of enemies and a lot of people who dislike us you can control your borders without being disrespectful without hurting and committing violence on people yeah agreed i think one of the other pieces that uh this administration is struggling with and you know they're struggling with a lot right now um, yeah the vaccination issues um a lot of our world allies have actually strongly voiced their disagreement with us about how we handled the afghanistan situation yep and uh there's a lot of blame that is rightfully so being put on this administration for the handling of all of these events, plus the vaccination situation, plus now, you know, this border patrol situation. So to me, it's either a tremendous amount of ineptitude from a leadership standpoint or a whole lot of noise meant to keep you focused somewhere. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I don't care anymore. So I hate to say that, but... <laughs> I, 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 you, you wake up and you hear more bad news than good news when it comes from anything government related. So the best thing you can do is to not focus on your own life and people around you's lives and try to make a better one for yourselves. Yeah. And, also, don't whip people. I think that's a uh, kind of. Go yeah, I think that's yeah. You yeah. have don't use it on people. Yeah. Why do they have whips still? Uh, so what I read was is that it for the horse, like the rain 
of the horse repurposed is what I read, but okay. I don't necessarily I don't necessarily understand how that works. To be honest, I don't ride horses. So yeah. I wish I did. That's a personal note. Yeah. Would be a good skill to have. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a horse yeah. riding expert to explain it. Yeah. The other thing I, I want to mention before we jump is that there's a lot of things that we point at, specifically like the Middle East and regimes there, um, actions there. And we use that to claim moral high ground in our country, especially politically. And yep. I think that it's really important to recognize that moral high ground doesn't really exist. Everybody's guilty of the same downsides and uh, you know, innocent in the same ways as well. Uh, everybody has convictions that they're operating on. And there's no country that's not willing to cross certain lines to get to their objective. And I think it's just important to remember in this world that if you're basing your worldviews, your political views on the fact that you feel, you know, your party or your country has a sense of moral high ground, um, I would consider that as a flawed premise. Yep. Yep. Well said. Let's move on from this disturbing topic. On to China. So one of the headlines uh, from this morning, and uh, this is this is more one example amongst many uh, one of the largest construction companies in China is deeply over leveraged and in, in serious risk of going out of business. This is part of a pattern of many Chinese companies that are struggling. And overall, the Chinese economy is, is kind of a black box for us. Uh, there's no real numbers that we're able to see about how companies are doing. There's a lot of suspicions, well, well-founded suspicions that you know, the Chinese economy is relatively propped up by the government. And with how they enforce things like conversion rates on their currency versus the dollar, there's no real way to know how their economy is doing. There's just a whole lot of you know scheming inside that black box happening. Um, you know, V, what? I guess two things. One, what do you think about that? And two, how does that like apply day to day life? Well, we recognize it with China because they are not a, a, a free market economy. Um, China as a socialist, communist, whatever you want to call it, nation. There is an obligation to continue to provide jobs for people and keep their people employed. Uh, construction is an area in which you can create jobs. Um, and I know, and you know from going to China, there are big, beautiful buildings everywhere that are completely empty. Um, they have been built and are completely empty. That is part of the responsibility, I guess, of a socialist communist system in which whether you there they struggle with inflation right that's one of the biggest issues you struggle with and then you struggle with population control how do you keep an economy that's filled with that many people running um and the chinese government um seems to be very creative in the way in which they do it now we can be critical of china for the way that they do things and the schemes that they run but if you pull the veil out from behind the American economy and you understand how much similar manipulation is happening, it's like you call spade to spade. It's just different versions of the same thing. At the end of the day, uh, money is something that we've completely made up. Governments have power over printing money. There's, there is so much corruption within how money works, how economies work. 
I think this is a great example. China provides us a great example of exposing that, right, in a very clear way what's going on. Um, but don't for a second believe that as an American living in America that there aren't similar things happening and that we can't fall victim to it as well. Yeah. A great point. I think today's uh, today's thematic element is the dark underbelly, right? Of yeah. the world. <laughs> yes. Talk about border patrol. We're talking about China. Um, you know, moving on to the next topic, which is in the same realm. And I think there's going to be a positive tie-in at the end of all of this. So we're not going to leave you guys on on a downer at the end of episode 100. Yeah. But uh, the next piece is um, even on the private market side, uh, there was. Uh, Again, an example, but but part of a larger problem. Um, there was a lot of heat in the hip hop and music industry over this last week because uh, Joyner Lucas, a well-known rapper that V and I both enjoy, uh, I, I love him. I think he's a great artist. Um, yep. Outed a music executive named Karen Civil uh, for essentially charging him uh, a bunch of money and. Uh, not really delivering at all on what she said she was going to do and then disappearing after after getting the money from him during a tough point in his life where you know wasn't wasn't really clear if he was going to get where he was trying to go or not and uh, this is so common in the entertainment industry the music industry and in business in general uh, I don't know a single person who has not been swindled or stolen from in this type of way yeah uh Tupac has a famous line, the penitentiary is filled with promise makers. That is the entertainment industry, right? Um, this is a tale as old as time. I have a, a, a great amount of experience in this as, as do you, you know, we're both, we both credit ourselves as being fairly aware and smart individuals, but that hasn't prevented us from being taken advantage of um, as well, Right. Uh, I think specifically in the entertainment industry, you have a lot of talent who really wants to become famous and well-known. That is where their focus is. There isn't as much awareness or investment put into what it actually takes to become famous, right? Yeah. The hard work, the time, spending, reading scripts, practicing all of that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle of fame and everybody, both the talent, the talent is willing to take the shortcuts to get to the end goal, which is oftentimes fame. I think people take for granted that this is actually a skill set, right? Just like to be a great actor, you have to do the work to be a great musician. You have to do the work, but in the entertainment industry specifically, there's this belief that you can take the shortcuts. If you know the right people who know the right people, you can get to where you're going and take a shorter route to get there. Now, sometimes you will get there, but when you get there, you're not going to be there for long and there's going to be a price that you pay for taking those shortcuts that down the line could lead to you losing everything that you wanted and never being able to get it back and understanding the psychology of people who want to be famous specifically in the time and era that we live in what happens and what's proliferated in a lot of these industries are a lot of people who are not very skilled at anything 
You know, they call themselves marketers. They call themselves PR agents. They call themselves digital uh, branding specialists. And they have no real skill set, no development of that skill set. Really, all they are leveraging is their relationships and who they know, again, to get shortcuts to get to where you're trying to go. And the unfortunate part of this is that these people like Karen Civil and Steve Stout, there's hundreds of them. I've been taken advantage in my experience in the industry by others. They come in and they tell people, hey, look at who I've helped become famous. I am famous as a result. Go to my social media profile and I can make you famous too. And so what they will do is they'll trade oftentimes the celebrities and high profile people that they're working with. They may or may not even be making real money with those people, but they have that relationship and it appears so. And they use those relationships to then take up and coming artists who have a hope and a dream and maybe some talent and they make bets and they say, this is who we're going to extract the money from to feed ourselves. And so they charge these people who are desperate for fame exorbitant amounts of money. In in this case, Joyner Lucas was at a very desperate point in his career. He said he was about to have a child and he wanted to take one last shot at the industry, got introduced to Karen Silva, who is known as an industry gatekeeper, somebody who can make dreams come true. She ran off with the bag. And... The consequences for running off on the bag are very minuscule because you can't it's it's hard to go to court after you've given away someone given someone all your money going through the legal process of trying to get that money back is hard no one's going to listen to you because you don't have a high enough profile to be listened to and these people keep running this scam over and over and over again plus the contracts are nebulous so they're hard to enforce yeah they're they're almost impossible to enforce. Um, and and this is something that Cameron brought up about Karen Civil a long time ago. Um, he did the same thing to one, she did the same thing to one of his artists. And what Karen Civil does very strategically is she leverages outrage um, to cover her crooked ways. And what came out of the Cameron thing was that he was he was bashing black women that he didn't want to see a black woman succeed. And now with Joyner Lucas, it came true. And the thing about Joyner Lucas is Karen Civil wrote him off as one of those artists that she could exploit and take advantage of. And he made it. And what I really stand up and applaud him for is there are a lot of artists who've gone through similar experiences, but once they get into the industry, they're scared because outing there are so many of these people who are in power positions who really do have the ability to blackball you or destroy your career for him to make it and still out her i think was a was a very commendable thing to do and i'm not trying to bash her specifically but this industry is one in which these people do need to be outed and the only way they're going to be outed is by people of stature and of power like Joyner Lucas saying, hey, this shit happens to happen to me too. Yeah. And the same thing happens in business and in startups. Uh, yeah, yep. People who say they do business development or they do fundraising or whatever it might be. Same thing. 
claim some level of connection to wealthy folks, ask for a fee to help make introductions. And, you know, it's like the thing, one of the things you learn early is you never give anybody money um, to make you an introduction. They get a piece of the deal when it's done or yeah. they get nothing, right? Yeah. And if people aren't willing to take that deal, then that person's lying to you. And for somebody who really wants to make it, it's very hard to accept that somebody would lie to you because it means that your dream is that much further away from yeah. where you thought it was. And so that's that's why a lot of people fall into this because there's this emotional urge to, you know, the the desperation to to get to where you're trying to go. And uh, the there's no shortcuts in life. There's no shortcuts to fame. There's no shortcuts to success. There's no shortcuts to making money. You have yeah. to learn the skills on your own. It takes time. You have to be patient. And when I say time, I mean it takes like a decade to figure shit yeah. out. And if you're not willing to go through that process patiently, then you're very much at risk of never really getting to the other side because you'll run out of resources along the way. Yes. And also, when, when another part of this is if you are trying to get into these industries as a behind-the-scenes player, as a marketer or a PR agent, don't try to become famous. That's also what happens with these characters like Karen Civil is suddenly they think they're the celebrity. They think they, because of who they are connected to, they don't understand what their position actually is in the ecosystem. And that is not to be famous. It yeah. is to do your job. The most productive and successful behind the scenes marketing agents, PR agents, you don't hear about them. You don't hear about them. You don't know who the top agent at the William Morris agency is. You don't. You know who the William Morris agency is. Yeah. But it's not it's not individualized. That you know might be I mean? the most powerful thing that the concept. And I wanna I would just want to reiterate what you said. It's when you let go of the desire to be famous, when you understand that that's not your role, right? Yeah. And I think that is that's the most powerful way to live is to release any attachments to fame, success, or money. And just yeah. do your job every day and let the byproduct of that be the byproduct of that. Yep. Sometimes I sometimes it's better not to be known. It's better to have the relationships and to not have to front all the time and flex all the time. That to 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 get ahead. Now, with that said, they say money is the root of all evil. And it is a dangerous thing if you are not a secure individual to suddenly be put in a circle of, uh, surrounded by power and people in power and how people think about, oh, I need to exploit this. I need to use this because I'm in this room and therefore I need to take advantage of it, right? That also is, is something that I think is short-sighted and eventually leads to a worse outcome for yourself because you actually have to think through what value do I provide? Is my value just knowing people or do I provide value? Um, and, and I know I've caught myself in this dilemma. People have told me to start a marketing agency, start a PR agency. You should do branding for artists. I don't do it specifically because I do not want the reputation of these people. And I realize that it, how hard it actually is. And I'm not going to hustle people for money because eventually that could lead to negative outcomes, whether that's physical harm, financial harm. I don't, I'd rather make less money not exploiting and creating value and thinking long-term 
than thinking short term and saying, okay, I can run this hustle and make a lot of money conning a lot of people and live a great life without thinking of what am I actually doing yeah. to, to generate that value. Yeah. And that, dude, that's, that's the reality of it, right? These agencies, you know, the partner will talk to you. They'll, they'll sell you on it. They'll say, hey, I'm, I'm your day-to-day. I'm going to be on top of this account. I want your success. You sign the contract, they're gone. You don't hear from them anymore. You don't. Pick up their phone. They don't respond to email. You have an account manager who doesn't really know that much, and it turns into a bad situation. I've I've been in that with marketing agencies a couple times over the last several years, and uh, you know it, it took a while to figure out what worked for us. And then there's other agencies that are actually quality that we've worked with as well, but they're just not the right fit. So it's like in it, it's not one person cannot make everybody succeed. Like there's there's fit along the way as well. And so it doesn't matter what past success someone has had. It matters how well they work with you and how much you trust each other to deliver on the goals that you're setting by any sort of timeline. And it all comes down to our overvaluing of this idea of success or fame or whatever that might be. If we let go of any desire to do that and just focus on the work, how can we create the best work possible and who can help me distribute this work? Yep. What gets you success? 100%. 100%. And, you know, just it's unfortunate that this is the the reality we live in um but it's a product of society you know if you don't taking this personally with karen civil she's a product of the society we've created in the structure and what we value what the consumer values what artists value so you can we can bash her all day long but she's just like a donald trump you see an opportunity and you take advantage of it. That is actually something that is glorified in our society yeah. is, is to do things like this. Um, and that's why it particularly bothers me. Um, but at the end of the day, these people are not going to stop existing. Uh, the artists and people in the entertainment industry who are desperate for fame are not going to stop existing. But I think for our listeners and people who, who tune into kind of our viewpoint on things it's like as you said part that there are no shortcuts so if someone presents you a shortcut develop develop the character develop the ability to say you know what i'm not ready yet i'm not ready for that yet because that's the other part of this ask when you look in the mirror and some record label comes and makes a promise to you about signing you to a record deal and making you famous ask yourself how much work have you done have you developed your your ability to make songs? Have you developed a hit record? Do you have you do you work on this every single day? Do you do eight to ten hours a day like you would for anything else? Or are you just in love with the idea of being well known and famous? And if the answer to that is I'm in love with being well known and famous, even if you become well known and famous, I'm telling you your life is going to be a disaster. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. The every as we've said in a previous podcast, every choice has a price. Yeah, outcome has a price, and so pick the price you're most comfortable with. Hundred percent, probably pretty happy with his outcome. Yep, and if it didn't happen to him, right? Like I've been hustled by PR agencies myself, um, and with my business partner specifically, it's hard to know who's real and who's not in this world. You can get references. You can check uh, on the background of their work, but you can't control someone being a snake toward you, right? 
And so. you can't control someone not understanding their skill set either. There's a lot yeah. of people I know who it's innocent, right? But yeah. they're like, hey, I've done this. I want to do it for you. And it's it's your responsibility to be able to determine if that person can do it for you or not. You shouldn't make a blind judgment based off of what they've done and just put complete trust in them. And I think that's that's like the, the empowerment of, of this whole narrative yeah. that we've gone after today. It's like shit's happening everywhere, right? But the beauty of capitalism is that it relies on the individual and their value system to dictate how business is done. There's not a tremendous amount of rules to structure everything. Yeah. So you have the freedom in this world to build whatever you want and to work with whomever you want and to do anything you want. But the timeline of that process, every single part, every single part of it has trade-offs and you just have to be conscious of what you're trading in for each outcome. But if you are, you can build the life you dream of and it's not, it's not a difficult thing. It just takes a focused direction that you drive in for a, a several years and you do end up where you're trying to go. Um, it's not impossible for anybody on this world, uh, especially in this country, but you really have to ask yourself, what am I really after? Am I after clout, fame, money? Like, am I after these things that trigger pleasure or am I after something bigger? And if you find that purpose within yourself, something that really truly drives you to make some impact and do something meaningful, it's very hard for you to be driven off that path by these temptations. It's very much, you know, that the odyssey comes to mind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges along the way and there's distractions, but if you stay focused on where you're trying to go, you you do end up there. Yeah, and you should never have to chase chase something, right? Yeah. Like I'm at this phase of my life really understanding that you do the work and you put yourself in position to receive the right energies if you're seeking out someone to make you famous you've already made a mistake yeah um but if someone recognizes what you're doing and says hey i want to work with you it doesn't mean they're the right person for you but that is more likely the person than the person that you're trying to seek out to help you get there right? Yep. Someone who recognizes what you're doing and wants to be on board. That's a filter you have to develop as a human being, like who's genuine and who's not. And you can figure that out too by vetting and evaluating people like, does this person really believe and, and values align with my values? Or is this someone that's just telling me what I need to hear so that they can close the deal? Right. Right. Correct. You know, and, and that's the truth of it. On that note, I think we buttoned that. We have. I didn't think it was. It was. It was. We had to. We had to do some bashing at the beginning, uh, just to get our point across. But I think overall, I think we uh, we ended on a good note. Which it's sad because I I don't want to close episode 100. I know. I know. It's a little bittersweet, as success tends to be. Right. You you achieve your goals. You hit these marks and. You look back and it's it's a little sad to be going through the journey because you realize that everything you've been doing up until that point was the special part. Yes. Yes. But on to episode we gotta get to episode one fifty now. So there's a new milestone. Onwards. Onwards and upwards. All right, man. It's good talking to you again. I'll be talking to you again shortly after this, so it won't be too long. Uh, um, but as always, r remember to be you. You is fly and stay moving. Peace.
Power Boys out. Probably boys, we get on up. We don't fly.